Salt. This simple crystalline mineral has existed on Earth for billions of years, predating life itself. Occurring naturally in our oceans and underground deposits, salt has played a pivotal role in human civilization. In this documentary, we'll be exploring the history of this life-giving mineral. We'll also be traveling through Africa, Asia, Europe, and America to see how salt is mined and the many different types found in different regions throughout the world. This is the truest example of man's inseparable relationship with nature. It's the story of salt and earth, of salt and life. Here in Ethiopia's northernmost Mekele Highland region, on the border with Eritrea, stands a primary school for Tigrayan children. Twelve-year-old Amir is among the students in this last class of the semester before the vacation begins. His 80-year-old grandfather, Kiji Baira, waits for him at home in a nearby village. He made the pilgrimage to Mecca when he was 40, and in accordance with local custom, dyed his beard and hair orange upon his return. He's now a respected village elder. Unbeknown to Amir, he has an extraordinary journey planned for them in the coming holiday. The Danakil Depression, 300 kilometers from their highland home, is 110 meters below sea level and blanketed in salt due to a nearby active volcano. One of the 10 most inaccessible places on Earth, it recorded the highest global annual average temperatures. Unsurprisingly, it's known simply as hell. Tigrayan people from the abundant Ethiopian plateau are believed to have started coming yearly to this inhospitable spot with their camels in search of precious salt since ancient Greek times. Okay. 
T.G. Byra will tell his family the decision he has made over dinner, a traditional Ethiopian porridge dish made from ground wheat, barley, and corn, served with a condiment known as balibari and coffee. Kiji Baira learned from his father as a boy how to procure salt in the scorching Danakil depression. He could have retired peacefully but clings to the hope that someone will carry on the family tradition of transporting salt. As his only grandson, Amir, is also his only hope. That's why he's decided to take Amir to the Danakil Depression before finally retiring. For Amir, the trip comes entirely out of the blue. Although Amir has dreams of his own, he agrees to his grandfather's proposal. The next day, grandfather and grandson depart. Bread, water, and hay for the camels are all they take with them. They have a dozen camels. On the way, they'll leave hay at different post stations as forage for the return journey. The desert is abundant in salt, but it's not a blade of grass. First time Kiji Baira made this trip was when he was about 10 years old. For him, it's a way of life he hopes may be inherited. But for Amir, it's a journey into the unknown. The seven-day trip under Ethiopia's most severe conditions will be a tale about the inheritance of salt. By contrast with Ethiopia, salt production elsewhere in the world 
is seldom reliant on manual labor, so obtaining, refining, and processing salt is easily accomplished. Vacuum salt production, commonplace since the early 20th century, generates a thousand times more salt than sun drying does. In fact, Shandong province of China produces a glut of modern sea salt, which puts many sea salt factories and workers in a difficult predicament. Thirty-eight-year-old Cheng Zubo works at a salt factory in Shandong's Laijiao Bay. His job is straightforward: sheathing piles of salt in plastic sheeting to protect it from rain. As his parents before him worked in the salt factory, he knows that the job is tiring, monotonous, and not handsomely paid. But he has nevertheless inherited his parents' affinity for the salt industry. Shandong has abundant underground brine resources, exploited by 20 or more sea salt factories. Cheng Zubo's factory produces high-quality coarse-grain salt, but supply exceeds demand on today's market. Aware that, compared to his father's time, salt industry business is slack, transformation seems to be the obvious choice for both him and the company. A sea salt company where Chung works relies heavily on the ocean, and low salt production returns prompted it to set up a modern sea ranch and reap abundances other than salt. Its scientific approach of laying artificial reefs promoted cultivation of more specialized seafoods like sea cucumber, various shellfish, and other sea products. Today is a crossroads for Chung. He must decide whether to carry on being a salt worker or become what is locally known in Shandong as a mengzhu or professional seafood diver. Change would mean better earnings for Chung, but first he must learn how to dive. Although he's done the training, Cheng Zubo is still nervous. This is his first dive. <laughs> the 
Today's wind and waves are stronger than usual. Seeing his masters dive into the water, one after another, makes Chang, who grew up near the sea, even more apprehensive. You 就是靠自己去体会这个事情。Diving is both dangerous and physically punishing. Fearful of it, Chung Zubo opts to prepare food for the crew. Meals at sea are simple. Pickled fish and crabs, made with salt produced in his factory, are the choicest delicacies. Looking at his master's ocean spoils, Chung Zubo decides to give diving another try at the next opportunity. Chung is aware that life on the vast sea will be a complete change from living at home, and that he'll be expected to work eight or more hours a day. But as he'll probably be better off, it should be a change for the better. On this planet, some people experience gluts of salt, while others rely on their physical strength to make a living from transporting it. in Ethiopia, Amir and his grandfather have joined a long camel caravan that also set out from the Mekele Highland. Amir is thrilled at the sights and sounds that meet him on the first day of the journey. Their journey to the Danakil Depression, 300 kilometers distant, will take seven days as long as they walk for 20 hours each day. The amount of salt they can transport totally depends on the number of camels they have brought. Trekking across the desert is a test of endurance for both man and beast. At noon, the temperature exceeds 50 degrees Celsius. 
Desert streams are the main source of drinking water. But some of those they reach have already run dry. The salt carriers that risk their lives to transport this so-called white gold from hell are legendary. But only they know the grueling torment of traveling in this pitiless environment. Unlike the Afar people, Tigrayans have camels. This increases their profits from salt transportation and is their motivation for traveling day and night. For Amir, the first encounter with the desert is an ordeal. By the second day, he feels weak, weary, and dazzled blind by the surrounding salt pans. Here in the searing Danakil depression, 100 meters below sea level, their destination seems ever more unreachable. Hundreds of kilometers away is the Danakil salt mine. The Afar people skillfully exploited by mining salt from cracks in the Earth's crust to trade with the Tigrayan people. At evening, the other caravans continue their journey, but Kiji Baira finds a valley where he and his grandson may rest. They still have one more day to go, but he's worried that without a night's sleep, Amir may not be able to stand up to the rest of their journey. <coughs> Over past years, Kiji Baira has made his living through strength and endurance. The Afar people mine salt, which the Tigrayan people transport, an ancient tradition spanning centuries, but which he fears may soon cease. This is a dialogue between modern civilization an ancient tradition. Deep in the Yunlong Mountains, in Nuadung Village, also called the Eight Diagrams Village, due to its distinct landform. Once an important economic town in western Yunnan province, it has a 700-year-long history. The salt well at the foot of the mountain has maintained the village's prosperity for centuries. These days, the Nuadung salt tradition is inherited in the form of a particular custom. For Huang Chi Chong, host of the village's yearly sacrifice to the saltwater dragon king, July 26th is the busiest day of the lunar calendar.
At 5 a.m., he leads a procession of villagers to the mountain. Local residents often say that, if not for salt, neither they nor their village would exist. They feel tremendous gratitude to the saltwater dragon king. Although according to Chinese tradition, worshiping the dragon king is a prayer for rain, here it's a prayer for no rain. The villagers bring brine down from the mountaintop and pour it back into the salt well. This is their prayer to the Dragon King for no rain over the next year, so as not to dilute the brine for which they make their living. Wang Chi Chong used to work at Noa Dung's state-run salt factory. He's now a respected village elder. He recalls how 60 years ago, the village heaved with workers and trucks amid the clouds of dust generated by large-scale production of the nationally well-known Noah Dong salt. However, by the 1990s, state-owned salt factories had gone by the board due to reforms. Towering chimneys, minus their billows of smoke, are all that now remain of the old factory. The villagers spend half an hour each day transporting natural brine from the foot of the mountain, a tradition that goes back to the Ming Dynasty. The villagers still eat their own salt, partly so as not to waste this naturally endowed brine but also because they believe Nuodong salt is rich in potassium and tastes better than iodized salt. Stir-fried Nuodong ham, a famous local delicacy, is pickled with local salt to ensure its sweet but salty flavor without a hint of bitterness. After the sacrificial ceremony, the villagers enjoy a convivial feast, which signifies the formal end 
to their sacrificial devotions to the Dragon King. Villagers make souvenirs with salt they don't use at home for tourists to buy, filling and compacting molds with salt and drying it under the sun. The colors and shapes of these salt knickknacks are many and various. Selling salt handicrafts is another source of income for Noadung locals. Perfect as gifts or keepsakes, they enshrine the villagers' appreciation of Noadung's natural salt resource. At evening, Wang Chi Chong takes a walk around the abandoned factory. Its large, defunct chimneys bring back poignant memories of the past. Modern civilization has had a brutal impact on traditional handicrafts. Its splendor long gone, only memories remain of the once famous Noadong salt, for which the world beyond no longer has any use. People have different ways of obtaining salt in different parts of the world. Here in the Danakil salt mine, where temperatures exceed 50 degrees Celsius, hundreds of Afar people are chiseling salt from the Earth's crust, the most primitive method using the simplest tools. They have already mastered the technique of giving a smooth edge to salt slabs to get the best possible price. The Afar people have clearly adapted to the heat. They work all day in the same posture without stopping to eat or drink, which is beyond the comprehension of any comparatively pampered outsider. Apparently, an American company once dispatched modern salt mining machines here, but the oppressive heat induced the operators to abandon them and flee. On the third day, caravans from the plateau start to arrive and to seek out their trading partners. Kiji Bara's partners, with whom he has cooperated for years, are father and son, Mossa. They have, as has become custom over the years, prepared piles of salt slabs in readiness for their buyers. The Tigrayan and Afar peoples are so organically united in a tacit expression of mutual trust that endures for decades. However, on this occasion, Kiji Baira fails to arrive on time. As many caravans are here today, Mosa could sell his salt to other buyers and go home early. But confident that his partner will come, he chooses to wait. Amir has regained some of his strength 
after a night's rest in the valley. But today is hotter than ever. As they set out for the salt mine once more, Kiji Baira, knowing the frailty of human life in this place called hell, is aware of the hard road ahead. In the afternoon, as other caravans head home, Amir and his grandfather finally arrive at the Danakil salt mine. Amir finds all this highly distressing. Kiji Baira buys 200 slabs of salt at 11 US cents per slab. Back on the plateau, we will sell them at 10 times that price. It's interesting that although they speak different languages, the traders complete their transactions smoothly. After years of cooperation, they have even become good friends. Salt is the bond between the two peoples. This is the salt mine's open cafe. After finishing their business, several old partners sit down together to enjoy a drink of coffee. Although the journey ahead will be long and exhausting, Kiji Baira is nevertheless happy when they leave for home. They have earned their next two months' living expenses, and his grandson now knows what this entails. On the evening of the seventh day, Amir and his grandfather arrive at the salt market on the Makele Plateau. This is the salt trading market's transfer station, where the Tigrayan people unload their salt. Salt slabs Kiji Baira brings are smooth and regular in shape. He sells them to the middleman for a dollar each. Okay. 
The bell rings. Makiji Baira can't see his grandson anywhere. Amir is already in a game of football with some other boys. Amir's decision empowers Kiji Baira to make his own, which is to retire next year and set free his 15 camels. Cognizant that young people must live life as they choose, he respects his grandson's choice. This has been a root-seeking journey that has at least revealed to Amir the work his ancestors have lived by over generations. In the past, neither the Afar nor Grayan people have been willing to accept modern salt mining methods. But in this era of Amir and his peers, no one knows what changes lie ahead. Time-honored methods, or the job of salt mining itself, might transform into a family tradition or something to pass on as part of a religious conviction. Easily obtainable in most places in the world, salt and its natural origins carry less significance. But there are many people who now imbue it with different connotations. Hoxton Street Monster Supplies in London has wondrous salt products. Annie comes here almost every month. Negative emotions, I guess. Boredom, anger, sorrow. You know, she'd get one for Anne. Get her bored. No, she would like this. Salt made from tears of laughter. That's a good gift. I love that. She picks a bottle of salt labeled Envy because she's feeling low today and would like to cook a particular dish using this special salt. So I'm paying the side. I've just closed the shop. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for doing that. Sure. There is 40. Thank you, Yes, yes the, we have um, a, a witch who comes in quite regularly. Um, her name is Annie, and she's always buying envy. She buys so much envy that she um, sometimes we run out of stock um, because she's so ugly and green and full of boils, and she's jealous um, all the time of um, other people who've got good looks, uh, pretty. So she um, she just tops up on envy all the time. Um, but sometimes when we don't have it in stock. She can also be quite um, 
that she can be quite angry. Made according to the shop proprietor's conceit, from simmered human tears, the product is hence called salt made from tears of anger, sadness, delight, envy, and more. Thanks so Take much. Care, guys. Bye. Thank Good you. luck. Thank you very much. The salt made from tears, designer Jayan from Korea has been running a design company in London for 10 years. In a moment of inspiration, it occurred to him that as human tears are salty, the tears that different emotions evoke have different tastes. For example, anger is, you know, that we, uh, you read cartoons or you read um, 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 literature, how you fume your anger and the smoke coming out of your ear. And so it became quite a literal connection that the salt from um, anger is uh, smoked. So Jayan and his design team blended sea salt with various condiments to produce salt in flavors evoked by different human emotions. People will spend as much as 10 pounds on a bottle of salt, not just for its taste, but for the mood it induces. I think everyone takes, I think the brilliant thing about this shop is everyone will take different pieces of it and take it into their own world. In terms of what kind of emotions, there are certain types of I still buy sometimes, go to Korean supermarket and buy Korean salt because that has a certain taste association. Just the cabbage, kimchi doesn't taste the same. You know, it's, I don't know. It might be just totally bonkers, but you know, it does have some kind of homeness to when I see quite a cubic, tiny grain of sea salt that's come from Korea. As a foreigner who has lived in London for a long time, Salt carries a particularly poignant nostalgia for Jayan. In contemporary society, Salt transcends its fundamental function of maintaining health. Besides bringing out culinary flavors, it's used to pickle and preserve foods. But on another level, salt is a medium for preserving time and enshrining bittersweet memories of people sorely missed. Motoi Yamamoto lives in Kanagawa, Japan. An artist, he is a pioneer of what he calls salt carvings, 
which animate and give soul to the pure white crystals he sculpts to create an extraordinarily artistic effect of dancing, swirling saltscapes like the one we see here. This, his latest work, is called Labyrinth. Yamamoto works 10 hours a day, long enough to create five square meters of his current saltscape. As a youth, Yamamoto worked in a ship factory, but was laid off due to an economic downturn. After taking a cycling trip around Japan, he enrolled in art school. When he was 24, his sister died of brain cancer. Anguish at the loss made him turn to art as a way of keeping alive the precious memory of times they spent together. While at work, his expression is serious, as this weaving of white crystals sets down a dialogue with his sister that intertwines time with random thoughts. He uses salt to preserve memories of her. Preserving childhood memories is foremost in this creative aspiration that has monopolized his waking hours for the last 10 years. あの、まず2つの作品に、2つのシリーズの作品共通していることが迷宮という形もそれから渦巻き状の形も両方とも生と死もしくはその再生のシンボルとして用いられてきたものだということです。モトイヤマモトズ works have been exhibited throughout the world. In general, a saltscape takes him more than two weeks, working day and night to complete. After each exhibition, he brings some of the salt used in the work back to Japan to restore to the sea its source, so perpetuating its life cycle. On this occasion, Yamamoto brings his three-year-old daughter with him to the ocean.
His parents also converse with their late daughter, but keep their memories of her alive in a different way. Seeing their granddaughter always brings them great joy. This rebirth also revitalizes the family. Yamamoto chose salt, which is sacred in Japan, to express sorrow over his sister's passing. Regarded as purifying, salt is sprinkled on the deceased's quilt at funerals. だから海をイメージする人もいるだろうし、もしくは内陸の住んでる人だったら大地ね、下土の中から取れるから、大地を思う人もいるだろうし、おばあさんのことを思うかもしれないし、母親のことを思うかもしれないし、少し透明なことによ
and embodied humanity's hopes, disappointments, greed, and generosity. People, like salt, return to their common source from different directions. This white crystal, which today seems so mundane, is a wellspring of extraordinary stories. The taste of salt is the flavor of life. Salt is indeed the essence of life.